do you feel when bad things happen to you or somebody that you care about? How does it ever make you doubt God's goodness? Sometimes stuff happens and we're like, man, if God is good, how could He allow that to happen? Maybe on a broader level, maybe when you look at our leaders, when you look at the direction our country's going, do you ever feel like things are, are out of control? If you ever felt like that, if you ever doubted God's goodness, if, if circumstances have ever made you uh, think that God maybe uh, doesn't know what He's doing, maybe doesn't have things under control, maybe you're stressed out because of circumstances, I have good news for you, and that is that God is in control. In all things, God is working behind the scenes to get things done that need to be done. He, he guides this world by providence. Now, our text today is going to be the Old Testament book of Esther, so go ahead and be headed there if you would. Esther is kind of hard to find because it's a short little book right after a couple of other short little books. It's Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, so on and so forth. So if you hit Psalms, which is about in the middle of your Bible, hang a left. We're going to start out in Esther chapter 1. And this is going to be kind of a new one for me because usually whenever I preach, I'll take a, a unit of thought, a paragraph, something like that, and I'll preach through that. I've, I've been known to preach as little as a verse. I've been known to preach as much as a couple of chapters. Today I'm going to preach a whole book. Now, uh, Esther has ten chapters, so obviously we're not going to read all ten chapters. But instead, I'm just going to pull some verses in as we go throughout this, uh, throughout this sermon. And, uh, and I'm just going to rely on your previous knowledge of the storyline in between, and, and hopefully you're familiar with Esther. Now, I just want to say a word about uh, the king that's in this story before we actually get into it, because my Bible has the name Ahasuerus. Your Bible may have that one. It may have, if it's King James, it may say Xerxes. Xerxes and Ahasuerus, they sound very different, but they're the same person. Ahasuerus is, is the Hebrew version. Xerxes is the Persian version. Okay, so it's the same guy. And you may recognize the name Xerxes, and because uh, if you if you've seen that movie 300, I know that that was kind of a big movie a while back. Um, Xerxes was the king, the Persian king that was invading Greece. That actually happened in Thermopylae in the 300 uh, Spartan soldiers that stood against him and all that. That actually happened. And so what happened was Xerxes was going to invade Greece, and so six months before he started this invasion, he started throwing a big party, and this party went on for six months. And during that time, the commanders were coming in, the, um, the, the military people, all the provincial leaders were coming in, and he was making plans for this war. And it's that, that party, that, uh, that, that celebration, that uh, feast, that we're going to start reading about in Esther chapter 1. Okay, so I'm just trying to set the stage. This is about uh, 480 B.C. or so. And the book of Esther is kind of unique in the Bible because there are a lot of people who don't think, or used to not think, that it should even be in the Bible. And the reason is, God's name is never mentioned in the book of Esther. No title for God is ever mentioned in Esther. So you, you'll never read God or Lord or Yahweh or any of those names. They're not in the book of Esther. So some, some people say, well, let's just throw it out. But even though his name is not, not there, his workings definitely are. And that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to look at the providence of God. And as we look at this... Uh, I want you to see that God providentially led Esther to be the queen of Persia in order to save his people. And likewise, he will work in our situations to accomplish his purposes. Now, what do I mean when I say providence? Anybody have any idea? Just, just think in your own mind, how would you define providence? Well, 
the word providence is made up of two Latin parts, pro, which means before, vide, which means to see. It means to see beforehand. God sees everything before it happens. Therefore, he makes plans, he, he, he guides situations, he directs people in order to make, those, to make his plan happen. Therefore, nothing that he sets out to do can be thwarted. You cannot stop God's plan. In fact, the Bible says that even the words that he sends out will not return void. Now, theologians, and I actually have a great big definition of what providence is by a theologian. Theologians use some big words. Even the ones that use, big, use small words still say a mouthful. I really like the way one pastor defined it. He, called it, he said providence is the hand of God in the glove of history. The hand of God in the glove of history. In other words, God didn't just create the world and say, okay, just do your thing. He created the world. He guides it. He sustains it. He works in all those situations in it to accomplish his purposes. So with all that in mind, I want us to see four ways that God's providence is on display in the book of Esther. Typically, we stand when we read the word of God as a sign of respect. But because of the way I've got to break up the text, we're not going to do that. Otherwise, we'll be up and down, up and down, up and down. It would be a good exercise, but um, it's not very practical. So just uh, look, if you would, at Esther chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 1. Now, it took place in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne, which was at the citadel in Susa, in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and attendants, the army officers of Persia and Medea, the nobles and the princes of all his provinces being in his presence. And he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days, 180 days. When the, these days were completed, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days for all the people who were present at the citadel in Susa, from the greatest to the least, in the court of the garden of the king's palace, there were hangings of fine white and violet linen by cords of fine purple linen on silver rings and marble columns and couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds and royal, royal wine was plentiful according to the king's bounty. The drinking was done according to the law. There was no compulsion for so the king had given orders to each official of his household that he should do according to the desires of each person. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for women in the palace which belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded uh, Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, uh, Abagatha, uh, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes, for she was beautiful. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. Then the king became very angry, and his wrath burned within him. I just want to stop there. Now, what happens later, we're not going to take time to read all this, but um, the, the queen doesn't come in. He gets real mad, so he takes counsel with his counselors and says, what should we do about this? Because she really should be coming in because I'm, hey, I'm, I'm the king after all. And so they say, you know what, king? If all the women of the kingdom hear about this, there's going to be a women's live movement. Now this is my, this is my summation. There's going to be a women's live movement and they're not going to do what their husbands tell them to do. So 
you need to depose the queen so that everybody will see nobody gets away with not doing what you say, even the queen. And so he does it. Kicks her off the throne. So, here is the first way that God's providence is on display. It's actually in this chapter. God works in the midst of wicked decisions. God works in the midst of wicked decisions. Now, the king made a wicked decision. We don't know why Vashti decided not to go. There could have been a number of reasons. Um, remember, this is the ancient Near East. And while women today, I mean, we have all kinds of shows where women parade around in front of men. That's not the way it was back then. It was, it was a cultural thing. Women didn't do that. And so maybe she said, you know what, you're putting me in a bad place, king. I'm not going to do it because that's just not the way our nation does things. It could have been because uh, the king and all his men were drunk. They've been drinking for six months and a week. And so it could have been that the queen was like, you know what, you're drunk. Just sleep it off. We'll talk about this tomorrow. It could have been that she was pregnant because around this time she would have been pregnant to have one of her children. So she could have been like, you know what, I am pregnant. I'm sitting here on the couch. It could have just been she simply didn't want to do it. I don't want to get out and parade around. Or, and this is the way uh, many of the old Jewish commentators saw this, if you'll notice it says he wanted her to come out wearing the royal crown. The ancient Jewish commentators said that's all he wanted her to wear. She was real pretty, and he wanted her to come parading around wearing nothing but a crown and a smile. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. Whatever the reason was, she refused to do it. And so the king made her not be the queen anymore. Now that is not fair, is it? I mean, you cannot look at that and be like, way to go, Hashuares. Good choice. I mean, it was not fair. It was unjust. But you know what? God allowed that to happen. And he was in the midst of it, allowing the king to freely make a choice. But he was working in that choice to orchestrate his plan. Because if, if Vashti would have been queen when all this other stuff happened later, the, the Jewish people wouldn't have been saved. So in the midst of this wicked decision, God was at work. And, and this is one of the most comforting truths of all the Bible, that, that no matter what happens to us, whether it's good or even bad stuff that happens, God is working in the midst of that. It, it's kind of the, the idea behind Romans 8.28, for all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. It, it's, it's, it's much like what Joseph said to his brothers. Remember, they sold him into slavery, and he went through years and years and years being in prison, of being a slave, of all these different things. And at the end of it, he said, you meant this for evil, but what? God meant it for good. Now, a lot of times people say, oh, well, that just happened for, everything happens for a reason. Well, sometimes it's because of our own stupidity, our own wicked choices, different things like that. But God works even in that stuff for the good of his people. You remember, uh, Paul says in Romans 8, he says, it works, uh, all things work together for, for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. It's for a very specific people. Now, God doesn't do the evil. That's impossible. But He allows the wicked to act according to their own desires. And He works in that. He works alongside that to bring about His plan. You think about Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a wicked king. God let him do things according to his own way. And we're still talking about it today, aren't we? He brought glory to himself. He made a name for himself. All in this, all in the midst of this wicked decision. 
So what's the application for us? Maybe you've got somebody in your life who's made a, a wicked decision. Realize that whatever they've done, that's not the end of the story. God can and will work in your situation, and He'll work it for your good if you're a believer. So that's, that's the first way that we see uh, God's providence in the book of Esther. Look at chapter 2. And I'm going to fill in some, <clears throat> fill in some blanks. So Xerxes says, Vashti, you're off the throne. Hey, guys, now what should I do? So they say, you know what? We should have a beauty contest. Have a Miss Persia contest, and we'll get all the good-looking women to come in, and they'll get all prettied up, and for a year, they'll get their hair done, they'll put uh, proactive on their face, get rid of all the zits. They'll, I mean, they will, they will be looking good, get perfume, everything, and then after a year, they can go in, and you can pick the one that you like the best. King Hashware says, that sounds great to me. Let's do that. So they start rounding up all the pretty women in the kingdom, all the unmarried pretty women. Esther is one of those pretty women. So look at, at uh, verse 5. It says, Now there was, a, there was at the citadel in Susa a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled when Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had no father or mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and mother and, and her and when her father and her mother had died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Now this is kind of setting the stage for the next thing, the next part of, of, of God's providence, and that is that God will get us where he wants us to go. God will get us where he wants us to go. Now Mordecai and Esther, again, they're there kind of because of wickedness. Because if you'll, if you'll notice, it says that they were there because their families had been in the exile when Nebuchadnezzar had exiled Judah. Now we read about that some, some weeks ago. Nebuchadnezzar came in, exiled Judah, uh, deported a whole bunch of them to, uh, to Babylon, and uh, and so this story fits between Ezra 6 and 7. They've been there for a real long time, and after a while, the king said, you know what, you all can go back to your homeland if you want, but a bunch of the Jews stayed. Their families were some of the families that stayed in Persia. Now, how does that relate to wickedness? Well, it relates first because Israel's sin was wicked. That's the reason they were exiled. The exile itself was bad because they were taking people from their homelands, and removing them to a country that they didn't didn't want to go to, uh, some people could say, "Well, why didn't their families go back? That was a, a bad choice." At, at the very least, uh, their their parents had died. All that stuff is bad, but God used all that to get them to Persia because He was going to use them to save His people. Not only that, but He also granted Esther favor in order to get her to the palace. So I want you to look at, at verse 9. Speaking of Esther, it said, Now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him. Look down at verse 15. Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of um, Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, came to go into the king, she did not request anything except what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the women, advised. 
And Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Look at verse 17. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins. Look at chapter, keep your place here, but look at chapter 5 and verse 2. When the king saw Esther, the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. Do you hear a theme there? Esther found favor. Now, did God override these people's will when he did this? No, he, he worked alongside it to accomplish his goal. Now, many of the decisions that these people made, they would have seemed inconsequential. Let's stay here and live instead of going there and live. I, I prefer this person over that person. I'm going to marry this person and not that person. D different levels of, of importance the, these decisions were, but in all of it, God is working in those situations to, to get His people where He wants them to be. That, that may, maybe the circumstances like with the parents dying, that seemed like a bad circumstance, and it was a bad circumstance, but God was using that to get His people where He wanted them to be. Get them to where He needed them to be in order to uh, affect His will. Again, what's the application for us? Maybe you're in a place where you don't understand why it's taking God so long to work. You ever been there? Man, I'm here, I'm praying, I'm waiting, and God, you're just not doing anything. Why are you not working? Maybe you've experienced a change and you're trying to figure out how it all fits together. God may be, God may be in the process of getting you to a place where He needs you to be at just the right time. In my own personal life, I, I can identify with this because back when I was in college, I worked a number of jobs. Uh, I worked at a pizza place. I was a telemarketer. I worked at a group home with developmentally disabled people. I mean, I, I had a whole range of, of jobs. And working in the group home was, was my last one. Scarlet got a job in Monette as a teacher. I was still finishing up school in Bolivar, so we moved to Republic. And I'm driving back and forth to Bolivar to finish my school and to work at the group home for, you know, seven or eight bucks an hour. Well, it doesn't take too long of driving all the way up there to say, you know what, this ain't worth it. And so I begin to think, God, I believe that you brought me to this place, but I don't know why. Why am I still here? And I just didn't understand. Well, I graduated from college with a pastoral ministry degree, and I thought, hey, churches are always needing pastors. Every time I read a newsletter, pastorless churches. So I thought, I'm going to get a, a place of ministry just right off the bat. But God didn't have that in mind. And so I waited, and I waited, and I waited. Still nothing. So here I am, going back and forth to the group home, no church. I've got to pay the bills. We had a mutual friend that uh, was a teacher. And she started working at the school in Republic where they had a group that was specifically uh, to, to work with kids with emotional behavior disorder. She said, hey, Jeff, you ought to come up here and, and apply. I did. I got the job right away. Why? Because I've been working with that, that population for a long time. Now, while I was waiting, I said, God, I don't have any idea why you're having me still go to this place. But that whole time, it was just a, a preparation for the next step of the journey. And God will do that many times. He'll, he'll work in our lives and we say, 
boy, you're moving awful slow, God, but it's often preparing us for the next step that we just don't we don't know about. And, and so, so if you're in that type of situation, don't lose hope. Keep trusting in Him. Because the next thing that we see is that God directs timing. He directs our timing. So in the meantime, and again, I'm kind of filling in some of these blanks, they decided to have this Miss Persia contest. There's a, there's a real bad guy named Haman. He gets promoted to second in command. He's like vice president, the prime minister. He's, he's way up there. He's, he's a wicked pagan. He hates, he hates Mordecai, Esther's cousin. He hates the Jewish people. All these things. He's very anti-Semitic. He's also a very proud man, and uh, and so he he uh, he starts to think, you know what? Everybody should be bound down to me, and so he gets he gets a big head, and and again, God's getting everybody in just the right place at the right time because if if everybody's not in the right place at the right time, his plan's not going to work out. Okay. Now we many times people today say, oh well, that was quite a coincidence. Baloney. It's not a coincidence. It's Providence. So, so, so Haman's getting promoted. Mordecai is at the gate. That's where his job is. He overhears a plot to kill the king. He tells the king, "They're like, okay, thanks, and uh, don't really do anything about it." So Haman comes in. He's all proud. Mordecai is a very proud man himself. He refuses to bow to Haman. This makes Haman so mad he can't even see straight. So Haman decides, you know what? I'm not only going to wipe out Mordecai, I'm going to wipe out all the Jews. I'm going to have them exterminated. That's his final solution, just to have them all killed. And so what he does, he comes up with a plot. He's going to go into Xerxes and say, hey, there are some people in your kingdom who don't follow your laws. It would be better for your kingdom to have them put to death. He says, okay, go ahead and do that. So Haman, again being a pagan, he decides, I'm going to use lots. He's going to cast lots to figure out when the best day for this whole thing to take place would be. So look at chapter 3 and verse 7. In the first month, which is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, Pur, that is the lot, was cast before Haman from day to day and from month to month until the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar. Now, that's very significant because Haman casts a lot to say, when can I wipe out God's people? Now, he was superstitious. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what the lot says. And we, today we say, well, that's silly. What, well, anyway, first we might say, what is a lot? Well, a lot is a way that they use to try to figure out the future, kind of like uh, we would say he rolled the dice or he flipped a coin. It's something kind of like that. So he, he was casting the lot, trying to find out the future, see what fate had to say. And we say today, well, that's kind of superstitious. That's silly. But you know what? I bet even today, especially today, there's going to be a lot of superstitions put into place. Why? Because it's Super Bowl. So people are going to be wearing certain shirts. They're going to be wearing old socks that they've been wearing each time the, the Seahawks have played. They're going to be eating, you know, going to be sitting on the couch a certain way. Superstitious. Right, silliness. People do it because they say, well, fate is running things. No, he, fate's not running anything. God is running things. And so Haman is trusting in fate, which is kind of stupid. 
But God has other plans. He casts a lot, but listen to what Proverbs 16 says. 16.33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So get this. Haman says, I'm going to figure out the best day to kill God's people. I'm going to cast a lot. God, who's in charge of the lot, says, This is the day you should choose. He's got a plan. Now, how does that directing the time? How's this from God? Because he said the most favorable time for this to happen is almost a year later. Gave Esther plenty of time to intervene for her people. So Mordecai finds out Haman's plan, passes word along to Esther. He says, you need to go into the king, talk to him, get this taken care of. She says, I haven't seen him in a month. And if somebody goes into the king's presence without him inviting them, they can be put to death, including me. Don't you remember Vashti? I don't want to do it. So look at chapter 4. Verse 13. And here's the probably the most famous uh, inter- exchange in the whole book of Esther. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews, because remember, Esther is a Jew as well. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. And the last thing that I want you to see is out of that passage, and that is that God directs our lives as part of a bigger plan. He directs our lives as part of a bigger plan. He has a plan that's a whole lot bigger than we can understand. A whole lot bigger than what we can see. A whole lot bigger than what we can even imagine. We're just one little piece of the puzzle, and frankly, we don't know where we fit. And so God's going to work in our lives. He'll orchestrate events. He'll let us come into contact with certain people. He'll let us cross paths at just the right time. We'll get networked with with, uh, just the right people to fulfill the part that He has planned for us. Do you realize that person you met at, uh, at work? That person that you accidentally ran into with your cart at Walmart and then said, oh, I'm sorry, and they began to talk. All that, that's part of his plan. He's using that in some way to orchestrate your life. So what plan is at stake in, in the, the book of Esther? Well, you remember we've said the promises that God made to Abraham. The promises he made to David. Ultimately, the sending of the Messiah. Because you realize if, if Haman was successful, Jesus wouldn't have been born of Joseph and Mary because Joseph and Mary were Jewish. You know, I'm glad that God's plans and, and His ability is bigger than wicked people. I'm glad that, that God and His power and His plan is bigger than, than the plans that other people have, including mine. God will bring about His plan. And what that means for us is that whatever we're facing in our lives and God's working in or through or He's allowing, and frankly, we don't understand what He's doing most of the time. Whatever whatever we're going through, God is using that to further His kingdom. He's using it to bring Himself glory. He's doing that to bring salvation to people who need it. Now, all of this happened, and God's name is never mentioned once. All this happened, the word God never appears in the book of Esther. 
Because He works behind the scenes. He's at work all around us even when we don't see Him. Even when we're walking in the dark and we say, God has forgotten me. God is at work. He's there. He knows what we need and because of His providence, He will provide. The Bible says His mercies are new when? Every morning. The Lord's Prayer, He says, Give us this day our daily bread. God knows what we need before we need it. Therefore, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about that because God knows what you need. Not a single sparrow falls to the ground that God doesn't know about. And you're worth a lot more than a bunch of sparrows. Instead of worrying, what does Jesus say? Have faith in God. He says, seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It also means that when we mess up, when we're the ones to make those wicked decisions, that He who began a good work in us will complete it. God is on the throne. We can trust in Him. His providence is a call to faith. The, Bible, the, the, the old song that we sing is, Have faith in God. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. And that's what, the, that's what this book of Esther calls us to. God is at work. Have faith in God. Maybe you've never accepted Christ. You need to have faith in God. The Bible says that if we will believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and that we'll confess Jesus as the Lord with our mouth, that we'll be saved. And if you've never done that, today's the day that you need to do it. Have faith.